Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, pastor at Hope, and we are so glad that you are listening in. We would love to connect with you in person at our Sunday gathering. In the meantime, we hope this message points you to Jesus, the reason we gather. This week I took my car to two different shops on the same day. Okay, uh, On the morning, I dropped it off with a mechanic, and in the afternoon, I took it into an instant oil change station. So the first shop was for a much-needed repair, and the second shop was just for maintenance. The first was urgent, the second was regularly scheduled. Both were required to keep my car on the road. And this is true also for us humans. We are beautifully crafted. And yet something is wrong. Outside of us, life in this world is very hard. It's full of harsh winters. It's full of giant potholes. But internally, things are broken and things are breaking down constantly. And so to stay on the road, we need two things. We need repair, and we need steady maintenance. Both are necessary. As a part of our year-long, kind of high-level look at the whole story of Scripture, we've been exploring most recently the letters of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And we've been doing this from a very high level. Now remember, Paul traveled. He traveled his known world with the powerful message of Jesus' life, of Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection. And so then communities of Jesus started to form. And Paul would help these communities. But then he would eventually move on. But in order to stay in touch with these communities of Jesus, he wrote letters to them and to their leaders. Last week, we looked at his, what many think is his earliest letter, Galatians. And this morning, we will look at what he wrote next, First and Second Thessalonians. And you could put Galatians and the letters to the Thessalonians into two different categories. Repair and maintenance. Galatians, if you were with us last week, you know, is urgent repair. Thessalonians is maintenance. In Galatia, Paul is a doctor responding to a code blue. But Thessalonians, as we'll see, is more like a checkup. One is engine repair and one is oil change. In fact, close readers of First and Second Thessalonians sometimes even wonder why Paul wrote these letters to begin with. So here's what New Testament scholar Gordon Fee writes. Given that Timothy's report about their faith was essentially positive, and then on two matters, Paul says there's no need to write. The question is, why then write at all? If the Christian life is only about urgent crisis repair, 
then yes, First and Second Thessalonians make no sense. If Christianity is just putting out fires, if Christianity, if walking with Jesus is just reacting, reacting, reacting to disasters, if it's constant crisis, then yes, these letters, they just don't fit. But Fee, his question, uncovers something vital about true spirituality. True spirituality, discipleship with the Lord Jesus requires steady maintenance. And this morning, Paul's early maintenance letters are going to reveal two essential things that we all need to stay on the road. But first, let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and with the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. And Lord, Would you give our hearts a glimpse of Jesus this morning through your word so that he would be more beautiful in our estimation after this message, after this Lord's Supper, than when we walked in here this morning. Lord, would you do this miracle in Jesus' name? Amen. So, a lot of you know about my failed veggie garden. I talk about it quite often. See, the only fruit from this garden is like life lessons and sermon illustrations about what not to do. I'm happy to announce that I'm trying again. I'm trying again. And I'm already off to a better start. The garden, for instance, is right outside our back door. And that's helping. Because I wake up and the first thing I do is I grab the watering can and I grab the gardening shoes. And this steady maintenance... This calm cultivation is making all of the difference. First and second Thessalonians are steady maintenance, calm cultivation. They show us a side to the Apostle Paul that is so helpful and so balancing. We might think Christianity in general, and maybe the Apostle Paul in particular, is all about crisis management. Always putting out fires. But no, these letters show Paul waking up, grabbing the water can, grabbing the shears, and lovingly, calmly, carefully, steadily cultivating a garden. I think this is helpful and this is balancing because most of us are so stressed. Amen? Most of us are so stressed. We're in fight and flight mode all of the time. We're every day at work in fight and flight mode and then we come home and we're in fight and flight mode and then to find balance we sort of you know go to a place like Orange Theory. No, I'm not throwing shade on Orange Theory, but this place I think stimulates like sort of our body's response to a car wreck, basically, right? And so we blast our nervous system with more stress in the name of not being stressed, and then we go to church and we experience spiritual stress. There's like fires everywhere, the houses are burning down, and so what we need, what I need is to see a pastor in a church that is not in fight and flight. 
We need to see a healthy church and a calm pastor. We need to enter into the world of Thessalonians. Because in it we see Paul as gardener. And he models for us two steady practices for sustainable First of these are steady reminders. Steady reminders. Most of the Christian life is remembering. Okay? Uh, Most of the Christian life is remembering. There is a place for continuing education. There is a place for learning. Of course there is. But so much is just returning and remembering what you already know and what you already have experienced. And so I just want us to notice how often Paul reminds this church of what they already know. As we pointed out, this is really just a remembering letter. And here are some verses to show this. Just check out how many times the apostle just says to this church, you know, you know, you know, you know this, 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 you know this. He just keeps on saying, you know this, you know how we lived among you, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit was not without results. You know that we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, like we heard read this morning. For you know what instructions we gave you. For now about your love and for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you. Why? For you know very well. Don't you remember? So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to what we already taught you. Hold fast to what you already know, for you yourselves know. You know. Okay? This is like Paul's remembering ministry. This is what he's basically doing, and it's a good reminder for all of us. So much of our life and so much of life together, shoulder to shoulder with each other, is simply saying, this is what you know. You already know this. You don't need to read a new book on a new topic. You don't need to. Honestly, you don't need to. You already know. Let's rest and and let's, let's settle into and let's return to what you already know. This is Paul, the gardener. And in these letters, I want him to remind you of what you already know here this morning. So first, I want him to remind you of who you are. He addresses the church in both letters as in Christ. That is verse one of both letters. The church is fundamentally in Christ. That is their Identity, And it's from this fundamental place, location, security, that everything that Gardner Paul says. He says in chapter 5, verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians, you are children of the light. You are children of the light. Because they are in Christ, light of the light. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, 
In a sense, he says, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Why? Because you are kept in Christ. He says in chapter 5, verse 9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. Why? You are in Christ. He says 22 times in these letters that you are, he calls the church brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. Why? Because they are in Christ. You are, friends, beloved and you are chosen by God. He says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Remember who you are. Paul's ministry in any healthy church will constantly just simply help us remember who we are. Before we do anything good, before we do anything bad, this is who you are in Christ. It is steady. It is not going anywhere because Jesus isn't going anywhere. Amen? So you need to be reminded this morning that you are in Christ. There is no wrath appointed for you because you are in Christ. You are a brother and a sister because you are in Christ. You are called and you are beloved because you are in Christ. You are in Christ. Settle in it. Rest in it. It's who you are. And then Paul would say, remember where you are. Where you are. You are in a story that is going somewhere. So, so much of Paul's ministry in these letters is reminding this small community of the story that they are in. And we can give God's story that we've been looking at as a church three major chapters. The first we could say, God made the world good. Creation. And this is why Paul makes such a big deal about the inherent dignity of work in these letters. And so if you look at 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 11, uh, verse 11 and 12, Paul writes, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Your hands. Just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Okay, so understanding the context in which Paul is saying this in the Greek culture of this day, it was very much looked like manual labor. Working with your hands was looked down upon. And what was valued in Greek culture was sort of things of the mind. Okay, but Paul rehabilitates manual labor, like working with your hands. Why does he do that? Well, it's because it's chapter one in the story there. God made creation. God called it good. And he gave us, humanity, his image bearers, the task to cultivate the garden. God got his hands dirty. Paul's basically saying, you can do the same. Work Work is a pre-fall thing. God said it was good before the work got bad and hard. Okay, so work has dignity by itself. And we can't really embrace that reality unless and until we are reminded that we are in a story that starts with good creation. But the second chapter of this story is how sin shattered God's good world. Sin doesn't erase human dignity. I'll say that two more times because it's very important. Sin does not erase human dignity. Sin 
does not erase human dignity. It also does not deface the inherent goodness of God's creation. What sin does is it vandalizes. It vandalizes. We see this with Paul's candid talk about hardship. He says in chapter 3, verse 4, When we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. There's his reminder again. But Paul is very candid about hardship. He's very candid about persecution. Why? Because he understands chapter 2 of the story. And then he's even more candid about grief. Later on in chapter 4, verse 13, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul's reminding them of the story there. Grief is real. It is very real. If you are alive to this fallen world, you will cry. If you are, if you are alive to it, you, as, a, as a believer who's living in this story, we actually have the greatest permission in the world to feel the brokenness of the world. And that's partly because of chapter 3. Jesus restores God's good work. So if creation is God creating a good world, and sin is vandalizing God's good world through our rebellion, through our resistance to the Lord, through our lack of love to Him and to others, then the third chapter is the best possible news, which is that Jesus restores this good world, redemption. The third chapter really is about this hope. In the first letter, folks need reminded of this in the face of terrible personal loss. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. And then in the second letter, these folks needed reminded that Jesus will make all things new in the future. Paul says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching that's allegedly from us. Now we could dive in deep, I think, about the specifics of what Paul teaches and what we really don't know in this chapter of the story. But the big picture is very clear from the apostle, and it's this. Jesus is coming back to straighten and to restore. And that is the final chapter of the story that goes on forever. And this truth, this Story that we are living in is our calling card. It gives Christians, I think, a unique posture in this broken and hurting world. What I like to call hopeful realism. Hopeful realism. We are more realistic than the hardened pessimist about the brokenness and about the death of this world. But we are more hopeful than the most positive optimist because our hope is anchored in the sure return of Jesus and the resurrection. That makes us a hopeful realist. That, set, that means that we, as Paul says, we grieve with hope. Now, Christians usually miss one of these, don't we? We skip grief because we think our hope demands that we skip grief. Or we skip hope because we think that our grief demands that we skip hope. And I don't know where you are right now. But the return of Jesus, the sure resurrection of Jesus means that we can actually say yes and amen to both. 
And when we're ministering to others, and when we are in the ministry of reminding and gardening with our friends who are in profound grief, we have a calling card. It's called realistic hope or hopeful realism. We can go to the depths of sadness and be okay. And our hope is not a hope that erases tears. That is until Jesus returns, when he wipes them away. All of this is Paul's reminder of where we are. We are in a story going somewhere. And when we remember who we are, and when we remember where you are, it informs our mission, what we are to do. So much of Thessalonians is Paul reminding his church to basically live in light of their future. We all do this all the time. Whatever your vision of the future is, you orient yourself today. So whatever you're spending your life doing today, whether you know it or not, it's informed by a future vision. And so what Paul is doing is he's basically saying, get the big picture of where you're headed straight so that it informs how you live today. And so, so much of his remembering ministry and so much of his cultivating his garden, like Paul as gardener, is basically saying, all right, friends, what do you know about Jesus? He's coming to make things right and to set things straight, right? You know, resurrection, Jesus is risen, he's coming back. He's creating a new world. You know this, right? Okay. Now, in light of that, that is your trajectory. In light of that, how does that inform how you live today? So, resurrection is by the Holy Spirit. So therefore, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, don't quench the Spirit. The church ought to be Spirit-filled. A resurrection community of new life. A resurrection preview. So like this church gathering right here, hope. One way that we can understand ourselves at this very moment is that by the Holy Spirit, in a way, God is taking our future resurrection selves into the present. When I decide to love you more than myself, when I decide to love God, when I decide to actually worship Him, when He is my beauty, when He is my delight, that is, that is wrought by the Holy Spirit. It is a miracle. It is resurrection life coming through in this very moment. We are previews of that future day. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't live as if that future story, that future chapter doesn't exist. God the Spirit is shaping us and, and showing the world what resurrection looks like. Another example, Jesus is making all things new. And so he says, in chapter 3, he says, spread the message of Jesus. Okay? If Jesus is making all things new, then that means that we want to tell others about that. God is a creator. We learn this. The story says he's a creator and it says, therefore, he is a restorer. He made the world wonderfully. He made you wonderfully. And resurrection says, you know, Satan doesn't win, as Michael Williams puts it. I'm restoring what I created. And if that's true, then it makes sense that Paul would say, work quietly with your hands and win the respect of outsiders because of your daily life. If Paul is a, cre- I'm sorry, if God is a creator and a restorer, then we ought to frame the way that we approach life in the same way. As J.R.R. Tolkien puts it, we are in a way sub-creators, made in God's image. 
And we are sub-restorers made in God's image. And so working quietly with your hands is a profound profession in way and a calling actually. Why? The story. You see it? Paul is simply reminding them of the story there. A few years ago, I hurried off a plane to catch my connecting flight. Um, I didn't have much time, so, and, and I was super stressed. And it was O'Hare, which is like a small city, which did not help. And so I hustled to the train that connects you to the different gates. Um, I hopped on, I grabbed the overhead bar uh, to keep balance, and off we went. Only problem was this train was barreling to the wrong gate. Which meant I needed to go through security again. <laughs> and to this day, I actually was in O'Hare recently, and I saw that tram, I saw that train, and I just relived that experience again. I just instantly got stressed. I was like, oh my gosh, that was terrible. Now what happened? What happened when I did that? I didn't ask the all-important, obvious question. Where am I going? <laughs> where is this going? I just assumed everything was moving in the right direction. I, I sort of went with the flow of traffic. Honestly, I just went where everybody else was going. And I stepped on board where everybody else was stepping on board. But I didn't find out where it was going until it was too late. I think many of us travel through life, even church life, in the same way. We jump on the nearest and next train without even asking, where is this going? Put another way, we live much of life without thinking about the story that we're in and how it ends. And so we need reminded, God made it, sin vandalized it, Jesus lovingly restores it. That's the ministry, the steady watering of reminding. But that's not all Paul does to care for this community. He also encourages. He has a ministry of steady encouragement throughout this entire letter. Just listen to a few examples of the many, and then let me translate. I'm going to translate as if to say, these are the kinds of things that you need to hear on a regular basis. Okay? And if you're not hearing them on a regular basis, then we're going to ask the Lord this morning to remedy that. He says in uh, chapter 1, verse 2, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Translation, I thank the Lord for you. Have you heard that? Have you heard somebody say, I thank God for you? Verse 20 of chapter 2, indeed, you are our glory and joy. Who's saying to you, you don't bring me joy. You are, you are my joy. You are my glory. Verse 5 of chapter 3, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. See, Paul the Apostle, after he spent some, some time, some sweet time with the church in Thessalonica, he actually had to go away because there was like a lot of persecution happening. And so he felt like he wanted to spend more time with this community, but he was forced away. And so he says here, I couldn't stand it any longer. I didn't know what was going on in your community. I couldn't stand it. And so I sent somebody to hear about you. So who has said to you, I cannot stand it when you're a stranger. 
I can't stand it when you're a stranger. Verse 9 of chapter 3, he says, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Translation, I have joy before God because of you. I experience joy in, in, in the presence of God because of you. Because of you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and your faith and all the persecutions and trials you're doing. So, when have you heard this? I know you're in a hard time, and I see your faithfulness, and I brag about you. I brag about you with my friends. I, I go before the Lord and I say, I see them and they are walking a baby step in front of a baby step in faithfulness to Jesus when everything around them is saying, you probably should give it up. And I boast about that. I boast about you. Who have, have you said that to someone who needs to hear that this morning? Like I brag about you in your faithfulness. This is Paul's watering ministry. He is, he is a gardener in these letters. He's, he's pouring water on thirsty plants. And this makes sense when you look at how Paul describes his ministry model. Okay? This is Paul's ministry model in a nutshell. He says, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Verse 7. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but we were delighted to share with you our very lives. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Okay. What's a good father do? Encourages, comforts, and urges. So Paul draws inspiration from young children, nursing moms, and tender daddies. That is his ministry model. His heroes of the faith. Kids, moms, and dads. He doesn't read leadership books written by Caesar Augustus. How to effectively lead an empire. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not what he's doing. He's a countercultural apostle. He says, do not be conformed to the world. The world that he was living in was one in which people in authority lorded it over them. And Paul flips that upside down. Why? Because he encountered Jesus. Okay? And so then he suddenly sees a new ministry, a new leadership model, which is a tender family. A tender family. The game of soccer... Is about a 90-minute game. Uh, but I learned recently that the average professional player only touches the ball for 45 seconds. What that player does with the ball, those 45 seconds, it's flashy, it's noticeable, all eyes are on it, it's also very important. But way more important is what they call off-the-ball movement. And that makes sense, because if you're on the field for 90 minutes, but 88 of those minutes, basically, 89 of those minutes, clearly math is not my strong suit. <laughs> if so much of it is off the ball, 
that it, it's understandable that this is something to the off-the-ball movement. Off-the-ball movement, in other words, contributes to the unseen and, and probably unappreciated culture of the entire team. It matters way more than what everybody is focused on, which is who has the ball and what they're doing with it. Well, that's how Paul's gardening ministry here works. Reminders and encouragements are off the ball movement. And it's 89 minutes of the game. Forty-five seconds of our life might be flashy, it might be in front, it might be noticed, but the other 89 minutes is steady, it's slow, it's unnoticed, it's waking up early with the watering can, it's sending that text, it's making that phone call, it's saying those words of encouragement, it's being reminded over a cup of coffee or over lunch of what you already know is true. All these things are off-the-ball movements, but they make and break the community of Jesus. So let me just ask a few questions to close. Number one, do you have a maintenance ministry? Do you have, in other words, a gardening ministry? Car maintenance, that's a mechanical metaphor. Let's move to the organic for a second. Gardening. Do you have a gardening ministry? Um, I think there are two kinds of people in life and in church. And switching back to cars, I think there are repair people, and I think there are maintenance people. Repair people, they see fires, they see broken things, and they rush to fix. And then you have maintenance people who tend to see what is right, and they tend to encourage. And they tend to tweak and offer kind of um, encouraging tweaks, which is what Paul is basically doing. There are some things he's like, okay, there are a few things I need to help you with, but there's no urgent sort of like, your engine is broken, Galatians repair. What Paul demonstrates for us is that it's possible to do both, and that we ought to aim to do both. But what I might encourage you to do in light of this morning is to simply lean into, especially if you are a repair person, if you are a fixer, lean into the maintenance model for a minute. And put some energy into that, into that maintenance, into that off-the-ball movement. When all we want to do is fix, let's lean into encouragements and reminders. So do you give encouragement? Just simply asking, do you give encouragement? I know many of us, myself included, think encouragement, but do we give encouragement? Okay? It's a gigantic difference. Every once in a while, I get a text that was totally unnecessary. Perhaps like First and Second Thessalonians. From a very, like, repair mindset, it's a totally pointless text. If all of life and all of Christian spirituality is, is sort of like urgently walking into a burning house, then these, this text didn't have to happen. But instead, it was simply a text of encouragement, and it changed my week, it changed my month, it probably changed my life, right? Because I need that, and you need it too. Who can you encourage this week? I would encourage you to call that person to mind right now, carefully. And the second question I want to ask right now is, are you receiving maintenance? Words of encouragement and reminders of who you are in Christ are like water. They are not optional. They're necessary to grow. And so consider with me for a moment, like what encouragements you need to hear. And maybe even write, write it down. 
And you could, you could come up with perhaps a strategy this morning even about ways to find yourself under a waterfall of encouragement. Maybe you're under the constant burden to be perfect. You need somebody in your life to say, you're in Christ, you're in Christ, you're in Christ. Maybe you feel worthless unless you're needed. You need to hear the Apostle Paul say, I boast, I boast of your simple faithfulness is my boast. Maybe you're always feeling misunderstood. Well, you need reminded that God knows you better than you know yourself. What if you're always searching for answers? You need reminders that Jesus gives you confidence in mystery. Some of us are worthless. We feel worthless unless we're succeeding in life. You need someone to remind you that you were called before you even took a breath, let alone succeeded in life. Maybe you're tuning out of life because life is so hard. Maybe that's you. You need someone to remind you that Jesus shows up in your life even when you don't know it. And that he is ahead of you and he is behind you. And so you can show up whatever you have to face this coming week. You need reminded of that. Maybe you're always afraid of being vulnerable. Well, you need reminded that God can soften your heart with, love, with his love. Or maybe you're always unsatisfied. You need reminded that the Lord is himself forever living water. Maybe you're afraid of the ship sinking. Like for you, your deepest fear is always that the ship is going to sink. You need reminded that the resurrection means, as it's been said, that the worst case scenario in your life is no longer the worst case scenario. You know how the story is. And I could go on, but the point is this. We need an encouragement strategy. We need to find ourselves under our waterfall. We need to be watered with the encouragements. And so let me finally ask, where are these maintenance stations? Where are these places? Who are these friends that can encourage you, who remind you, who have good words in the season? There are good books out there. There are good podcasts out there. There are terrible books out there and terrible podcasts. You know, some are water. Some are like drain it. Okay. So find yourself in a place where you are receiving life-giving encouragement. And may hope be a church that excels in the simple and steady work of maintenance. We are God's garden. You know, he gives the growth. But may we enjoy waking up each morning to water the plants. May we enjoy waking up each morning in this calm cultivation, in this unnoticed work. And so, Lord, thank you for these two letters in our Bibles. I am so thankful that you saw fit to put Letters of a healthy church experiencing healthy community and experiencing growth, encouragement, and reminding. And would you shape us 
the same. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening in. For more resources like this and to learn more about hope, please visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org. Thank you.